So it's like they're they're getting it on all ends. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with the bugs. They're dealing with the rough edges. They're dealing with the initial mockery. And then they're dealing with the mockery later when they actually start being open about the problems and the complications and the things that people need to be aware of now that it's hit mainstream. Mm-hmm. Where's the upside? And I was like, I was like, man, being an early adopter kind of sucks. So Jeff, I've got a got a topic for you, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's what I was thinking of the other day while I was driving, because I always have lots of good thoughts while I was driving. I do too, and I don't know why that is, because I can't I can't capture them. Maybe that's why I have them. That doesn't make any sense. But it seems like like I I can't I get ideas in the shower or I'm driving or somewhere where I can't go and reach for my phone and write it down or capture it or something. Very frustrating for someone who. See, I think for me, it's because I'm captive. Like I'm in a hmm. car. I have a very specific task to do. Nothing else can distract me. All the things at the house, phone, all of that. So it's just, I'm driving, which is not very mentally taxing. And then my brain is like, I must find other things to work on. And so I end up having ideas. Um, But anyway. You don't have the the memory of the goldfish like I do, where I just, I have a great idea and then I can't capture it in time. Right. I have literally like slammed on the brakes and got over to the side to try and capture like a music thought or something. Anyway, yeah. sorry, your topic. Yeah, so I was thinking about the plight of early adopters. Oh, now, those poor, poor people with so much money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, those people. Well, it's, it's not always necessarily money. early adopters, which we've, we've well, that's Well, that's, that's an entirely different class. I don't know about that. And we're not going to get into those people because that's just something else. Okay. Um, well, we've already covered this them, so we don't turn need in, to. This is not going to turn into another Apple rant. Um, it might. Just, just warning everybody. No, it, it won't, because we're saving that up for another another episode. Oh, about oh we're saving Apple. that up. Okay, good. I'm glad you told me this before I started talking about it. Yeah. Anyway. So, anyway, a plight of early adopters. Everybody, usually, when you talk about this, they're like, oh yeah, they deal with all the initial bugs. But actually, there's a lot more that goes into it than that, and I figured it'd be an interesting thing to talk about. I don't know where the conversation is going to go, Yeah, I don't but either. I'll at least say what I thought, and then you can... Say what you think. It could be a very short conversation because I'm I'm early adopter. Yeah, and your dogs are being festive. They, which they're is fine. they're fighting right now. Hang on a second. Yeah. Me, so anyway, the typical thing that people always think about is that you know early adopters deal with the, the early bugs as things are being figured out, as things are being worked on. They're there in the trenches dealing with all the stuff before it gets fixed. Mm-hmm. So all the rough edges they deal with all of them, and that's true. The other thing that also happens is. Early adopters usually have to deal with some level of social mockery for being an early adopter. Mm-hmm. I know we've touched on it before. I used to use the uh, Palm Trio smartphones. Nerd. And I also had a Symbian smartphone, the Nokia Communicator. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I was a nerd. I admit it. Was. Um, and before, before those, I had the little Casio flip-out pocket organizer things that you could take notes and do all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I remember being out with friends and pulling out my phone or whatever and them looking at it and being like, your phone has a keyboard. And I'd be like, yeah, maybe like your phone flips apart and has a huge screen. Yeah. And they're like, that's stupid. And I'm like, no, it's great. Cause I can like check my emails and then email people back. And they'd be like, why on earth would you ever want to check an email on your phone? That's retarded. <laughs> All you ever want to do on your phone is just call people or, you know, I'm like, well, it's like a text message, but more, I can take a picture, it's not and send the picture and all these other things. 
And yeah, they they were just like, that's that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I would never want to do that. That's retarded. Well, then Those flash forward a couple dumb. years. Flash forward a couple years, and you know we're out at TGI Fridays, and we're chilling, and all of a sudden I notice, oh, I see you, see you got an iPhone. What, 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 what is that for? They're like, oh, it's great. I can do all these things on it. I can listen to music on it. I can take pictures and send pictures. I can do my emails on here. And I'm like, oh. All these things oh, you that you did. All of those things that you said was dumb and stupid, you now, you now are doing them. Oh, it's different now. No, no, it's actually not. It's the same thing. The difference is you're doing it. So now it's acceptable. When I was doing it before, it was geeky and nerdy, and why would you ever want to do that? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. So, there is a level of social mockery, because you that's don't not have that a, big of a deal. You don't have an afro dancing... Well, actually, those, those advertisements came later, didn't they? The, the dancing iPod yeah. commercials? Yeah. Yeah, those came later. If you had one of those, so though, anyway, they would have thought it was cool. No, they probably wouldn't have thought it was cool, well, because you don't know how you know, to dance it wasn't anyway. two-tone. It wasn't black in a color. Wow. You know, it was the artistic style that made that cool. I saw someone go to the to a Halloween party one time dressed as one of those, like a car, color cutout. It was weird. Anyway, sorry. Unrelated. Yeah. yeah. Completely unrelated. We're cutting that. Yeah, that, that, that tangent's getting nipped in the bud right now. Are you sure? Um, so the, we have, you deal with the bugs, you deal with the social, you know, mockery. As, as minimal as it is, you still deal with it. Then there's the back end side of things. And that is, is an early adopter, because you've been using it for longer than the mainstream, when the mainstream first gets on, you've been using it for a period of time. You're usually attuned to the complications that exist. And you also are more capable to see the flaws. Mm -hmm. Whereas the people who are just getting into the adoption, all they see is the good. It's kind of like the honeymoon phase, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think about social media. When social media first started to, to be made, there were the people that were early adopters. They were heavily involved in it. Yep. And again, it was the same thing. People thought, oh, that's ridiculous. Why do you want to have a page all about you on the internet where people can see all the things? Like, why would you want to do that? That's nonsense. But then it became socially acceptable. And then, oh, it was the cool thing to do. Everybody wanted to do it. And shortly thereafter, after the mainstream finally adopted it and thought it was great, you started seeing people come out going, actually, hold on. There's some problems with this social media thing. Mm -hmm. There's some dangers here. There's some complications. This is heading in a direction that's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. We probably need to address this. And then, now that mainstream has accepted it, now they get mocked for, oh, you don't think this is cool? Now you have all these problems with it? You were the one that used it first and thought it was great. Now all of a sudden that I'm using it, you don't, what, are you just a hipster? Are you just against it now that it's now mainstream? And it's like, no, because I've been using it for 5, 10, whatever, however many number of years, I have that much amount of data to look at and go, oh, using this for a period of time causes these trends, causes these things to happen, and mm -hmm. that's not a good thing. So then early adopters kind of end up in a Cassandra situation <laughs> where they're warning of the flaws that's exactly what I was of the very of. thing that now everybody thinks is great. Mm -hmm. So it's like they're, they're getting it on all ends. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with the bugs. They're dealing with the rough edges. They're dealing with the initial mockery. And then they're dealing with the mockery later when they actually start being open about the problems and the complications and the things that people need to be aware of now that it's hit mainstream. Mm -hmm. Where's the upside? And I was like, I was like, man, being an early adopter kind of sucks. Not for them. Not for them. The kind of people that I think of when I think early adopters, uh, usually extroverted. Not always, but usually. Deeply proud to be an early adopter. Some of them 
that I know of almost treat it like it's a, they owe it. Like the Apple ones, we're not talking about them. The Apple ones are like, they, they owe it to Apple to go buy it. Or they owe it to Samsung to go buy the next S20 or whatever it is, 21. They're finally, now the numbers are matching years, I think. So buy the next S21. Next year, they'll buy the S22 when it comes out. And it seems like, um, I'm trying to think of other characteristics that, I'm trying to put this in a polite. Okay, well, they, first off, I'm not talking about products. I'm talking about technologies. Okay. So I'm not talking about specifically this particular iPhone okay. or this particular Samsung phone, the people who go out and buy it. I'm talking about... The first people to buy an iPod, perhaps, back when it was a perhaps, heavy, heavy hard drive. The, the, yeah, the smartphones in general. Mm -hmm. Okay. The first adopters of smartphones. Forget what type the it was. The first people to use a modem. That first people, that first wave of people that started using something, whether it was smartphones, whether it was social media, they started using it, getting involved, before it became mainstream. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in those early days, like I said, there were a lot of rough edges. Right. All those rough edges, through their effort and through their feedback to the people who made the device or the platform, then rounded it, made it better, and then, then it became kind of socially acceptable for the mainstream. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Not specific products, but more of... Trendsetters. Technological concepts. Trends. Yeah, trends. So there's a big market in being out in front of a trend. And there's a big amount of cachet, for lack of a better way to put it. But only if you're public about it. Like, if you're an early adopter that says nothing about it, then you're just a glutton for punishment, frankly. But if, if a lot of people are early adopters, well, sometimes you see a, the value in a technology and you want it to work so badly. Even if it's not quite arrived yet, you're thinking, if, I've, if I support it now, this is also what drives a lot of Kickstarter programs. This product I'm looking at on Kickstarter may not be exactly what I'm looking for, but it's a very good step towards the thing I actually want. And I'm hopeful that if they make this product, then we can go suggest upgrades and it'll be the product I actually want. I've done that a couple of times, uh, contributing to some Kickstarter projects. Knowing that it was not the thing I was going to get what I actually didn't really want, but I wanted the thing that would come after. So none of those have panned out, by the way. Maybe it was a bad idea. But uh, I'm just, I'm not a very good early adopter, I guess. It seems like you're, you're taking this experience that you have that no one else has. The exclusivity is valuable, but you have to market it that way. There's like this lifestyle choice of, look at me, I've always got the, the, the newest trends, the newest everything, you know? When rotating fireplaces came out in the 60s, it was just a dumb thing that there was like a period of a couple of years where people were putting in rotating fireplaces in their house. Like it would rotate around, and it was just a brick facade, and then when you wanted the fire, you would rotate it around again, and you'd actually see the fireplace and you'd start your fire. It was dumb. I don't know why. I think actually it was in um, Goodfellas has one in there. It was stupid. You've got to take that experience, that early adopter experience, and do something with it to make it worthwhile. But for a lot of people that I, that I can think of, it's like wired into them. They can't help it. They've got to stand out. And one of the ways they stand out is by being the first to have a new technology. Easy differentiator. The first people to buy the Prius. Prius. I mean, the, I remember thinking when the Prius first arrived, okay. it was ugly. So again, I think you're focusing on when it hits fad status. No, 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 no. I'm talking about And not before that. Because there were electric cars well before the Prius. Yeah, the smart cars. There were, and... there were smartphones well yeah. before the, yeah. the iPhone. Like, the, the people who are, I need to be seen to have the coolest thing, okay. are the people that are in it because it's a fad. You're talking about the after the adoption has started taking off, that's what you, you think I'm focusing on that and not the earliest earliest. Okay. Hmm. Well, you're probably right. Well, so let, me, let me try and pirouette my thinking and re-aim it. Okay. Um, 
I still know several people that would qualify. I mean, there's definitely blending between all yeah, of yeah, those. I'm not, I'm not denying this, that. Division zones between, you know, the equivalence class of early, early. There's, there's this classic chart I've seen where the, 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 the thing that uh, a new technology tends to follow, like the, the ups and downs of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hype cycle. Or yeah, whatever. the hype cycle. That's what it is. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about people that show up early on in the hype cycle. I know a couple of people like. For, for all the ones I can think of, it's like they, they have to. It's like a compulsion. They don't, yeah, they don't even know for, why. From my experience with, with smartphones on the old Trios and the, uh, the old Symbian phones, it was rough. Like, it really it was, was rough. You experience. had to be committed to using it and making it work for you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that you were going to do because it was the cool thing and because it was a status thing and because you could you know show off to other people. Because, A, showing off was not going to work because people thought it was ridiculous. B, you know, at that point, everything was about phones getting smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, you had the Motorola StarTax, and, and so smaller phones was better. And then here you come pulling out this brick, and they're like, uh, what? hello, the 80s called and want their cell phone back. Yeah. yeah you know. Um, so, like, there was definite cost involved. And like I said, you know, it was just rough around the edges mm-hmm. in so many ways mm-hmm. that you were only really getting into it if I, you just had morbid curiosity and wanted to tinker with the new stuff or you could actually make it work for you. Okay. And it wasn't until after all those issues were worked out, which is one of the things I do have to give Apple credit for is they made the smartphone easy enough and simple enough to use well enough mm-hmm. for everyone. And their first revision too. Yeah. Their first crack at it. They made an experience. I think that's the Jobs fanaticism there. A large contributor to that. He wouldn't let it go out the door without that per- perfect experience. But I just remember being floored by how simplistic it was to use. I, I felt like I could hand my 75-year-old grandmother an iPhone and ask her to call me without any instructions, and she would be able to figure it out. Her with having very little experience in the computer. I mean, there was big buttons on there. That I don't know if they had the slide to unlock yet. I think that was an early feature. I think they had something like that. They already had the concept of locking the screen, turning it off and turning it back on again. Slide to unlock the screen, and then you had these big buttons you could press. So I'm reasonably certain that she could just figure it out. And I remember just being so impressed by that. Like, this is amazing. There are very few times when I feel like I'm watching something, and I'm like, this is the future. Maybe I don't tend to care about what the future is. I let other people care about it, and then they tell me what's good and what's not. So that's the one of the early adopter penalties. You, you may decide to, tr- to invest in something and it turns out to be a total flop, total crap, you know, or, or you're one of the, the edges are so rough that it can't succeed. The Zune, perhaps. Now that wasn't real. That was, that was an, that was an after all the other products had come out. So it's not really a new something, but there's, we have examples of the Microsoft has actually a graveyard of devices that were, that came late and didn't survive. <laughs> They're really good at that. They really are. Yeah. I've never understood the compulsion to go buy the new technology. But there have been a couple times when I have been so impressed by something like I this is the future I must I must be I must position for it. One of the Linux is one of those things. Frankly, right around 99 or 2000, I felt like I was really heavily doing a lot I was doing a lot of C programming and I was getting involved in I was like writing games and reading books on video games and, and ray tracing and, and 3D rendering and all this stuff. I was like this is really cool. This is the future. I got a 3dfx branded graphics card and i immediately could tell this is what gaming is going to be from now on how does this work 
And I remember looking up uh, OpenGL, I think was the only thing that was out by then. They had direct, direct 3D was in infancy. I remember going and trying to find a book on OpenGL, but there were none published. I went to the Micro Center. They didn't have any. I went to libraries. I started looking around on, on the early internet, and I couldn't really find much. OpenGL was such a new standard, and the video cards were so new that they didn't have published materials on them. I'm sure there were if you were in the right places, or you know, if you were to go contact OpenGL, they probably could have sent you something. And I was like a 16-year-old kid. I wasn't going to do that. But I remember thinking, this is going to change everything. You're not going to have computers without these from here on out. Well, I was not quite right on that, but gaming per PCs, yes. You don't really game on a computer without one of these. And they became so important and so foundational that they started moving them into the chips, like these tiny little video processors that are they're on chip for the, for the cheap computers, because everybody needs one. All the rendering you're doing on your screen, it all goes through that video RAM and, and video card chipset, so you need to have a decent one. I just remember thinking, this is going to change everything. And it did, because I was, uh, before I was getting 10 frames a second, afterwards I was getting 160 frames a second, with shadows. Pretty incredible. But I, that's one of the few times I can remember actually being an early adopter on anything, actually. I just don't, I don't like the penalties. I don't like the rough edges. I don't like, I guess I've, I, I am concerned about the cost of the time. I, I hate contacting tech support. I just won't do it. Unless there's nothing I can do. Like if my ISP goes out, I have no choice but to call them. But if like I have a product that goes bad, nine times out of 10, I'm not going to call for support on it. I'm going to be like, either I'm going to try and sell this, I'll try and fix it myself, or I'll just write it off. Because the, the time spent going and calling tech support to me is, is just so, it's a waste of time. It's what it feels like. Not efficient enough. Now I factor that into everything I buy. My buying strategy, my, my all the stuff I have, I tend to buy older stuff that's been proven, always. So it's funny to watch the people that are that are compelled compelled to go check out the new stuff. And then there's a whole class of journalists who like they're eating on the the backs of new stuff. They're reporting on it. They have to like go and gush about all this stuff. They need to be an early adopter because they're writing about it and they're making money off of the, the articles they're writing. I don't tend to, I tend to not like those kinds of journalists. Because they usually gush about everything. It seems, uh, I don't know if I know anybody, like directly I can reach out and call right now that I would, I would call a hardcore compulsive early adopter. Do you know any that you would be able to reach out right now? Yeah. Okay. So what is, um, I'm trying to think of something new that, would, that is on the forefront. Uh, so we're now starting to do gene editing technology. CRISPR, Cas9, all that. That's actually one of the things that they use to make the, some of the vaccines, I think. They're using some of the gene splicing to create basically this uh, the protein or the, the RNA that they needed. Imagine the person who's an early adopter and Congress has just released legislation that allows you to do your own body modifications to CRISPR. Think of what they're going to do. Well, I, they're already into the biohacking culture. Yeah. So like they're already doing things that I might not even yeah. be legal right I know now. People that are you putting can do magnets yourself? in their fingertips. Mm -hmm. I actually liked that idea because that's like they've, they've done creating that. another sense, you know? Yeah. I, I like the idea of being able to walk through a room or like passing your hand over something and recognizing that's got mains current through it. That's miswired. That's not supposed to be that way. Or you walk through an area and you're like, whoa, whoa, what was that? There's something, something wrong here. It's an extra sense mm -hmm. for free. Yeah. Or you're taking, you're creating another sense out of a physical sensation that your body can, can interpret because it's so sensitive. I love that idea. I don't want magnets in my fingers, but uh, I like the idea. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be cool, but I'm like, mm, 
I think I can live without I it. I play guitar and bass. I, don't... I can't. It's not compatible with playing an instrument like that. I'm sure someone somewhere has done it, but uh, my, so the guy, the one guy I knew that actually had done it, he put one in his pinky, and he said after six months, the first time he'd rejected it, like his fing- his finger pushed it out, like the wound never yeah. quite healed right, and eventually the, f- the finger pushed it out somehow. So I'm like, okay, I guess that means you did it wrong, or it wasn't in a biological compatible material or something. But, it has uh, to be encased in something that your body isn't going to reject. Yeah. Um, that adds size, which then adds complexity mm-hmm. to actually getting it into you. Yes. But yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to go off down on a biohacking. Well, that, but that, I think that can... that's a good representative of, of a frontier, an early adopter frontier right now. That's mm-hmm. a good. Yeah. And, and, and he's paying the price by, you know, having magnets get grown out of his fingers because right. it, it was done wrong. Mm-hmm. He did it himself. Like, yeah. That, there's, that, there's one of those downsides. Yeah, yeah. Doing your own biohacking surgery. You're probably not qualified to hack on your body, but you know your body, and you're willing to take the risks. Mm-hmm. See, for I think there's that that risk seeking for some people. It's it's a, I don't know. I, I don't fully understand the drive well enough. So I'm so I'm trying to create a situation in my mind that we can kind of explore a new situation, not one that's already happened. So, well, if not biohacking, because there are challenges in that discussion, what what's craft a situation where we can explore what a new early adopter would go through those poor saps well um starlink is about to land okay would you can well, it's already landed i okay. know people that have okay you're right it's in the process of landing it's not gone wide yet i think it's still in beta but there's now like 30 or forty thousand users mm-hmm. across the across the united states the idea that you can go and have internet anywhere you kind of want was promised by mobile companies has been displayed in movies and never quite realized because I can never quite get the right bandwidth I need when I'm just out and about. And now the new thing is 5G. I still don't think they're going to deliver on that. Like I had to get a new phone recently because I dropped my other one and it, it, the screen finally cracked after hundreds of drops in three and a half years. Finally gave up the ghost. So this one I got now has 5G ultra wideband. And I'm like, I don't know that that's going to work very well. I just don't think it's going to deliver. But I, I feel like, well, star, I don't know how big, how, how, let's see this. How much equipment does Starlink need? Do you know? Would define how can I can I mean, can I take a laptop that's equipped with something and use Starlink? Well, you would need the dish, okay. which is I don't know, twelve, sixteen. Okay, inches. so it is it is a fixed um, station. Then it's not it's not mobile. Well, so the yeah, it's kind of gray. So there are there is an issue around moving it. I believe. Okay. Um, I know there have been some people who wanted to get it because they have like a like they live in an RV. An RV, yeah. So I don't, there might be exceptions, for instance, like if you do, if that's what you do and you want the Starlink on your RV, um, but there are limitations and, and you just can't pick it up and go somewhere with it, okay. from my understanding. Um, and right now there are problems with, because all of the satellites are not up and in position yet, as they, as they move around, right. that there will be gaps mm-hmm. where your connection will just go away for 20 seconds and you have to wait for another satellite to get back in range for you to connect to it. And that's not going to get better until they fill all the constellations out. Yeah. Correct. One of those so there are, again, there's there's some pains for early adopters to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was having a, a call with a friend of mine who has Starlink, and yeah, just midway through the call, he just stops moving, stop getting any audio from him, and I'm like, uh, "Are you okay? Are you okay, buddy? Do do I need to call? Do I need to call the nine one one? Like, are you are are you okay?" And then like thirty seconds later, he, he he's back and he's like, "Hey, it's me again." I'm like, "Where'd you go?" He was like, oh, no, my connection dropped out. And I was like, um, 
okay, explain that. And then he explained it to me. Hmm. There's a site on, I can't remember it off the top of my head. If you just search for Starlink satellite map, it'll bring up a site where you can then look. And if you zoom into an area, you'll see where the, the overlaps then cause gaps. And if you're in one of those spots at that time, you, you don't have a signal. That's cool. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's, uh, wow. That's really some cool. early adopter pains there. We're going to need to put links to this in the show notes. This is really cool. I can see one going over North Dallas right now. Wow. That is so cool. So I see something like this. I'm like, we live in the future. <laughs> That's seriously what I conclude. I can also see that they, they, uh, there's some that are just like in these very large straight lines. I guess those are recent launches. The, yeah, those are ones that haven't quite spread They're out. They're spreading yet. out still. Yeah, that's so cool. That's incredible. So, okay, enough gushing about Starlink. And I think it's going to be somewhat game changing for rural people. Not somewhat. It's going to be a huge game changer. That's, um, I'd call that a disruptive technology. I know that the Silicon Valley loves to overuse the disruptive word, but I think this legitimately is disruptive to a lot of existing incumbent ISPs and ways of doing things in rural areas. Because if you can suddenly get a connection, and it's a decent connection, then all the, the sacrifices you make for living out, they minimize quite a bit. Mm-hmm. If you have solid internet out there, you could have someone more reliably make a delivery, more reliably make orders. If you're going into town to make to use the internet, you're just going to buy stuff in town. Right. But if you actually have internet at the house and you're thinking, well, I would really like to watch that or like to have that thing, I'll get on Amazon and look for it because you have good internet at the house when previously you didn't. My wife's grandmother lives way out in, in rural Alabama and they have DSL. It's really, really crappy DSL. And it's, it's just nothing in her life is built around a computer at all. It's, it's so nice to go out there and it's just like unplugging because she doesn't have valid internet. And I'm just thinking about she could have Starlink. And she could certainly have internet. What would that do to change her life? No, that's not quite an early adopter thing. That's more of the life-changing aspect. But I'm trying to think about when early adoption goes well. Because sometimes you, you try out a new technology and it does change your life. The first people to try, and a lot of people are now running around with the wearable the heart monitor trackers. But the first people to put those on, the heart bands, the, the monitor bands, I bet that was a major improvement in their ability to study their own body. And the life changes you make because of that. Well, that, yes, if you actually utilized the data right. and actually did something with it. I mean, I've had the Fitbit um, charges mm-hmm. since they came out. I had a charge one, charge two, charge three, and I now have a charge four. Um, and like, yeah, I, I like the data. Sometimes I'm better at using the data than others times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it comes and goes in phases. Right. Sometimes I'll get really into it yeah. and then I'll be like, ah, I don't care. I just... It's my watch. It tells me what time it is. And oh, yeah, it also is recording all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's more dependent on you utilizing, which I, I mean, is true with any technology true. that you adopt, yeah. you know, like old smartphones. Well, they weren't really beneficial if you didn't actually use them for anything other than making phone calls. Right. Yeah. But if you did, yeah, they were highly beneficial if you could also deal with the bullcrap that happened all the time mm-hmm. because no, we hadn't figured out how to do it the right way. Yeah. We were still trying you to figure that out. Hang by the minute. I can remember the very first cell phone our family got, it was 32 cents a minute to call during peak hours, which was defined as 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And two cents a minute after those hours or on the other time, the other 12 hours. I just remember thinking as a kid, 32 cents a minute to make a call. 
It was more than going and finding a payphone, which is twenty-five cents. And then not long after we got the uh, not, not long after we got the cell phone, the cost of a payphone went up to thirty-five cents, I believe, which is a real. That's one of those limits, um, kind of like ninety-nine cents for you know the drive-through menu kind of thing. It's just a, like a human limit. Like once we've crossed that barrier, then things change. Crossing the twenty-five cents for a call barrier really changed a lot of things, but it didn't last long. I don't see payphones anymore. Do you? They're all gone. Yeah, I, I still see them around. They exist. Where? Movies? Oh, oh not in Texas. Yeah, not in Texas. No, uh, no, because they're basically in Texas. They become deathly hot boxes. So you you got in them because you had to because you needed to use a phone. But ideally, you'd borrow a phone inside somewhere. In the, in the well, hot. I mean, thing? I haven't seen any in a box. They're all just stuck on a pole with a little thing that comes out to stop the rain. Mm, okay. Oh. Like, I haven't seen a phone booth in a long time, but I've seen payphones recently. Yeah, that's true. Like, in your in your hometown? Uh, well, actually, I think there is a couple couple around here. Wow. Um, but I know, they're, I know they're still in Baltimore. Hmm. And, of course, if you go into any mall that is, you know, older than 10 years, when you walk in the door and you, you turn to either side in that lobby, you can still see... Well, now it's just usually a plate of metal or something. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if there's, like, a row of, like, eight of them, it's like, oh, yeah, that's where the payphones are. Little, little indentations in the floor where they were affixed, you know? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you're in a smoky restaurant and you're walking past the... going to the bathroom and you can tell there's a little alcove where the phone used to be. And they usually just, like, stick flowers or something right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to recapture some of the thoughts I had about early adopter syndrome. Because it's, it's well, so okay. Let me let me give you some of my experiences. Okay, yeah. Um, you seem to have much calls. more early adopter experience than I do. Because I remember the, the trios. Of course, you actually it was a phone that also was a smartphone. But predating that, of course, there were PDAs which you could use. Palm tried. Well, they actually didn't try. They were successful with a mobile service for the Palm Seven uh, X line. It was a Palm. Palm Pilot, with a flip-out antenna that would rotate out, and there was a service that you would pay for with for a monthly charge. I completely forgot what it was, what it cost now. Um, it was for a certain amount of data bandwidth, and then you would pay for more than that. And it, I think it was called Palmnet um, at palm.net, and if you signed up for it, you got an email address at palm.net. I remember that. And I remember that, using that to, to do emails and stuff back and forth. And at the time thinking like, this is really useful because I don't need to pull out my whole laptop to just send a quick email. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, I still think Palm Graffiti is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was well being done. able to take written, handwritten stuff on the screen. Um, the downside is they were resistive screens, so they didn't, they weren't as easy to use as capacitive screens, which is one of the benefits of the iPhone. I can had. still hear the tapping <clears> when it came like, out later. You had to thrust into that little the tap section area down there. Yeah. Got it. But I absolutely loved graffiti and got really good with it. And I would use that to send emails all the time. But the devices were limited in what they can do. They didn't have much processing power, they didn't have much RAM. They didn't. And there was a nice little kind of hacker culture around adding stuff in. Because a lot of the devices had the same CPU in it. Right. But then what applications could run on what devices was limited. It's business logic um, more than it was uh, limitations of the platform. It seemed right. Like, I remember, like, you could, you could upgrade your you calendar could, app. You could upgrade your this app or that app, and you could make mm-hmm. major improvements over it. Yeah, and, like, I remember on the trios, um, you could actually 
they uh, supported uh, FAT16 on SD cards. They didn't support FAT32. However, if you copied a library off of a newer trio onto your older trio, it would work. Really? Because the newer trios were the exact same system with the newer screen. Okay. And higher resolution output, and, and uh, I think it was a better antenna. Okay. Um, but then you could actually get that by copying the file over. But the Palm OS didn't allow you to get in there and do that. So you had to use a third-party application that could access the OS to then copy the file. Right. So you could then copy... Like, there were a whole bunch of things. But you could do it. And there were people that were able to add um, support for the Wi-Fi SD cards onto other devices that... Palm did not support the Wi-Fi SD card on those devices, mm -hmm. but you could you could get around it by copying the libraries over. Right. Um, I think I did that one time. I because I had a it wasn't an early one. I think it was a Palm Five. It was mm -hmm. Towards the later part of the run, where Palm was was big. Uh, okay. You can't see, but he went back and looked at his collection of Palm devices, of which he has like five, six, seven, eight, something like that. Uh, so I have. Let's see. I have the. 3XE, the 5X, the 7X, an M100, an M105, an M125, an M515. Okay. Then let's see. A Quite a lot. 600, a 650. I think I have a 700 and a life drive. So yeah, I was a big Palm guy. No kidding. That was like 12. Yeah. 12 devices, I think I counted. Gosh. You were kind of into that. Yeah, I was. I, I, had, I only had two communicators from Nokia. Um... I just I settled on Palm just because it, it honestly worked better. Mm -hmm. I liked the Nokia's as far as the device and the way that they had the keyboard because it was a larger size keyboard. Um, but it was a little clunkier to use. They were also a lot more expensive. Mm -hmm. I actually um, I remember, they looked way yeah. cooler though. They looked way cooler when you set your phone down, flip the screen over, and type on it, and flip the antenna up. Like yeah, but then everyone would laugh at you because it's like look at that, look at that nerd, look at that nerd doing exactly what he wants to. Yeah, exactly. He's having a good time. That's that's how I would look at it now. I'd see someone doing something like, uh, I have no idea what it is you're doing. I might have some questions for you. And I would expect as an early adopter, you would be willing. You're out in public using a thing that I've never seen before. Of course, I'm going to have questions. Me and everybody else are going to be like, what's that? And that's the thing I think of that question or that experience. What's that? Drives a lot of the early adopter syndrome because the people that have it a lot of them like that. You didn't. You didn't want it, I think. You just wanted it because you saw the value of it. Well, it varied. Like, sometimes I did. For instance, like, I remember when, when Wi-Fi first started to really pick up and people started to, to actually realize, oh, this is great. And you had businesses who would, you know, actually start having small little Wi-Fi hotspots in there. Mm -hmm. So when you were when you were waiting, you could get access. And right. The real game changer was when restaurants were like, oh, well, we're going to set up a Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, but not every restaurant had it. Right. Um, and I have a, a Wi-Fi Yagi that's about 13 inches long. Mm. It fits on a little tiny, like six inch tripod. Okay. So I could go sit in one restaurant and use the Wi-Fi from the restaurant on the other side of the road. Um, that's funny. so, and hook it up to my, you know, my, my laptop or my network or whatever. And of course people would be like, okay, you've got a laptop and you've got this weird antenna. What thing. is that? What are you doing? I mean, there were a couple of times where like people were like, call the police and the police showed up and they're like, so what is, what is this? And I'm like, it's just an antenna. You know, like an antenna on your car gets signals, and they're like, oh, okay. Bye. I, I yeah. mean, it was so weird at the time, no one knew what to think. They just said, oh, this looks like some illegal stuff. Okay, so the Yagis have a weird look to them, too. Small Yagis, they really especially. Do. They yeah. look very exotic, like something out of Star Trek. So, 
But uh, if you had something that looks a little more normal, I bet you would not have got the cops called on you. Yeah, if it was like a mountain when the cops showed up. No, actually, I did not find it amusing at all. Because I'm like, uh, I haven't done anything. Why are they coming over here to talk to me? Right. I mean, they were polite about it, mm-hmm. and they're just like, hey, we, we got a call because there's some people wondering what, what, what this is. And I'm like, it's an antenna. And like, I showed it to him, and the guy's like, oh, that's really cool. And he's like, wait, it's like, you're connected to the internet right now? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, I'll open up a website. And the guy's like, oh, wow, that's, that's weird. Like How does that work? And I was like, it's, uh, it's just, it amplifies a connection signal mm-hmm. that's weak that normally it wouldn't be able to pick up but now it can pick up. i wasn't telling him i'm i'm connecting to the restaurant on the other side of the road right. just, you know um that would raise too many questions yeah and he was like oh okay that's cool you know people just they were really concerned because that looked really weird and you know they weren't sure what was going on and i was like no that's that's fine everything's You're fine hacking you people's brains <laughs> like right from this I, device i shall control your mind officer yeah i've got a death ray on my computer that i'm you know if it was maybe attached to like the monitor like sat on the monitor maybe it wouldn't have been as weird but the fact that it would like had a cable that ran out to it that was like a meter long right, and then yeah. had the little tripod and it was sitting like i get it people were looking at it like what the hell is that yeah yeah frankly but so like at, it would be interesting like when people would like look by and they'd like nudge the person they're with and they're like look look at that what, what is that like that was kind of fun yeah but it, then it wasn't fun when when the police were right you know, hey what's that yeah yeah no because even if the police are just there for something innocuous what happens if they see something else that catches their attention and they decide that's PC for a bodily search or something? Just the fact that the police are around you, they, it can lead to something else. Which is not to say that I don't like cops. They just, you know, yeah, I've been a, I don't really think I've broken the law much at all through my entire life, but I used to be terrified of cops. Like a, there's a uh, Parks and Rec. One of the characters in there mm-hmm. is like just absolutely positively terrified of cops for no apparent reason. And I was like, I understand what that man is feeling right now. Because, like, I'd be driving the speed limit. I'd have a cop next to me, and I'd be, like, sweating like crazy. Like, is my registration up? Yeah, okay. I registered, yeah. No, no, oh, the, the the truck is, is uh, it's got its uh, state inspection. I've got no outstanding. I have no warrants that I know of. I'm just I'm running down all the possible things it could be. That Why is that cop next to me? It's very narcissistic of me. I know. He's driving the way I'm driving. Nowadays, I'm like, oh, okay. Hey, how you doing? I tend to wave at cops, like, hey, you know, glad you're here. Back yeah, then, they're mostly just doing their, yeah. they're just doing their job. They're probably like, the problem is that there's a, I forget, it was a, I think it was a book that came out or something about laws that people break all the time that they don't realize it because it's just general behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the problem is you might be doing something that you think is perfectly fine because you don't realize that it's, oops, it's actually illegal. Yeah. But unfortunately, ignorance is not an excuse. Yeah, and correct. if there happens to be a cop around while you're doing the dumb thing you thought was legal, mm-hmm. well, like public work out drunkenness well is one of those. It's quite a lot of public. Well, drunkenness. I think most people know that that's illegal, probably, but they do it anyway all the time. There's a heck of a lot of public drunkenness. So, like, I think it's enforced more like at a public park or something. But if you happen to be walking down the street and you're drunk, I mean, you could be walking home. I mean, who wants to hassle a guy trying to get home safely walking? As long as he doesn't walk into traffic or cause somebody else's problem, he just trundles his way home safely and gets in, you know, pours himself into bed and then sleeps it off. That's fine. That's what we want. He had a good time. Maybe he was a little bit irresponsible. Maybe not. I don't know. And now he's responsibly not driving. You know, that's that's kind of what we want. But uh, I'm just I'm curious to hear what else was on that list. But that's another episode, right? That's yeah, a completely different episode. Well, no, no, we probably shouldn't go down that list and say which ones we did because then we might be in trouble. No, 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 so let's, no. Let's not. First do of all, that. statute of limitations. Second of all, okay, you're right. Let's not do that. We'll have an offline yeah. talk. 
How about that? And maybe maybe the listeners can bribe us into uh, recording such a conversation. We'll see. Uh, I don't I don't know if they if they have I'm enough not, money I'm not, to, to bribe me into that to conversation. Look, uh, just say, look. but I mean, hey, I challenge them to come up with enough money to bribe me. Yeah. into that discussion. Let's say this: I can be bribed. I'm not stupid enough to think that I'm unbribable. No, I can be bribed. It's just the price you're going to pay is quite high. That's just the way it is. I think the price you have to pay is quite high. Probably it's not nearly as high as I think it is. You know, like I would be willing to do something for a warm cookie or something. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Um, on 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 listeners, we uh we do have some feedback to go. Oh, we do, we do, we do. Yep. Okay. So, uh, we've gotten a couple requests in from people saying like, hey, why don't you guys talk about other topics or other things that you guys are involved in and all that stuff. So. Okay. I've mentioned it before, but I've never mentioned it in the show, so I'm going to do that now, is I think for our one-year point, we're going to do kind of an AMA episode. Okay. That sounds great. Um, where the listeners can send in questions. Obviously, we will filter them, so don't be ridiculous with what you ask. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ask us what you want to know, and we'll we'll answer. Uh, we did this for BSD Now uh, about six months ago, I think, maybe? Or no, it was for the new year, so four months ago. That's cool. And yeah, it seemed to be well-received, so yeah, if you have questions, things you're curious about, uh, about what we do or things that we think or our history or what we like or whatever, um, send them in. So you can send them into my email, uh, jt at mindripmedia.com. Go to the website, theopiniondominion.org, and then uh, there's a contact form you can fill out, or you can just ask us directly on to uh, Matrix or Telegram, mm-hmm. and I'll build a list and then we'll do that for our one year. Okay. That's coming so up there's in been a bunch of people months, that have, I think, right? Yeah, there's been a bunch of people that have talked about that. Actually, I think that's two months away, Jack. You're uh, a little behind. Look. It's May, and that would be June. Math. Math is hard. So, yeah. Math is hard. Um, So a bunch of people have brought that up. So that's the response to that. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, Yes, we got an episode uh, response back about our versus automatic versus manual kind of tangent that we had with Keith. Mm -hmm. Um, Tom mentioned that, you know, he, uh, he loves driving manual and he goes through the same process that when he drives an automatic, his left leg stretches and tries to find the clutch, even though it's not there. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that it's not just me. Mm-hmm. He also mentions that another thing I don't like about automatics is that if I want to slow down or control the speed, I can't engine brake and I feel like I have less control. You can. Um, that is true. You can. Uh, well, you can sort of. I do. If you're in a new enough vehicle, you can do it. Okay. I used to do it in an older vehicle. Um, Automatic. That was really bad on the transmission, by the way. Okay, well, uh, good thing I sold don't, it. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, good to know. Why is it bad on an automatic transmission to do that, but it would be okay on a manual? Um, it, they're they're both synchro meshed, so it's not like you're going to grind them up or something. It has to do with the way that old transmissions, when you would go down to you know those lower gears, it was not meant to be a seamless thing. The plan was when they designed them that if you put it into two, the car would only go from first gear to second gear. And the automatic would handle the transition between them. Okay. Not, I'm forcing the transmission to change gears when I want, regardless of what its internals are doing. Mm. Um, Today I learned. Yeah, you are not. You are not supposed to change on the fly there. Uh, the uh, that's why the overdrive button, the overdrive gear was usually a button because it was set so that you could enable and disable it easily without issue. Okay. But yeah, just hard pulling that thing down. That was that was not a good thing. Well, I, I don't remember the last car I had that had a pull down column shifter. I think I've always driven something that had a, a, a middle between the two seats shifter. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Even if it was middle between the two okay, seats. Okay, okay. It was still, that was not a good thing to do if you were an automatic. Okay. Well, I wonder um, how much I tore up that old Camry's transmission doing that. I didn't well, know very much. I don't know. It's, somebody else's it's problem It's very now. flat. 
around here. So I didn't really do it much at all. And I didn't do it much to my first truck either because I didn't mind, didn't care. But I don't think it's an issue when you go up in gear mm -hmm. because the transmission is still controlling when you're going shifting up. Right. You're just enabling that it can go, you know, mm -hmm. faster. Um, but shifting down was kind of a, mm -hmm. could be sketchy. The modern truck though, uh, depending on the mode you put it in, it's got three driving modes. The, the normal is just right. straightforward, try and save gas, but then there's a tow haul mode and a sport mode, and both of them use engine braking by programming. Mm -hmm. So it's def the, the transmission is definitely equipped for it in the new truck. Yeah. So sometimes I do it by hand because I, because that's just the way I am. Mm -hmm. Trying to recapture the feeling of driving a manual in my automatic. I miss, I miss manual. Not enough to yeah, go and get gonna... another car that's got manual on it, but, uh, you know, maybe. Uh, I don't know. If you got a feel for it again. I, I think I get like an old beater manual and just have fun driving around doing stupid crap because, you know, you can go from like one to four. If you're stupid. You know, if, you're, if, you're if your gearing is low enough. Modern transmissions like manuals are all six speeds now. You could do that. The gearing's not nearly as tall. Not, not as much. So. Stupid tricks you do. Anyway. Tangent. Anyway. Um, so yeah, then the next email we got in, uh, they, they specifically asked not to be identified, so I won't. Okay. Can we and give them a name, was, though? Uh, like, just assign a name? Sure. How about Fred? I tried M a couple months ago. No, we're going to go with Fred. Fred? Yeah, okay. Fred. So, Fred asked us... Frederick. Or, he wants I think to be maybe it was, Frederick. No, no, it's Fred. I, I think maybe this was just targeted at me because I'm more of the hostile Apple person. Uh, he asked, what was the actual latest Apple device that I've used? Because he says they've gotten a lot better. So for me, that would be probably an iPhone 4 and then probably like a 2018 Mac Mini would be the latest Mac stuff that I've used. Um, he mentions that the new iPads are really great and I should get one and try it out, and that he's sure I'd come around. Hmm. Yeah, but those are like $800. Yeah, which, you know, I'm not going to... I mean, if somebody wants to donate an iPad, I will I will give it a whirl. I will even return it when I'm done with it, but uh, I'm not I'm not going to go out and buy one just to uh, see if I like it. Like, that's... I'm not cool with that. you got enough technology in your house. Frankly. You probably have a couple older tablets lying around somewhere you could reposition or something. I have a really old, old tablet, like from like 2014, I think. Like it's bad. That's old. It was real bad. No, I have like a 2003 tablet. I tried to put uh, Linux on it. It didn't go so well. A 2003? Mm -hmm. It was thick. It was like an inch and so thick. It's not really... A... Yeah, mine was about an inch and so thick. Yeah, I remember thinking for a long time, because I, I, I had a love affair with the, with the idea of a tablet. They were always so big. I had a tablet one time that had a three and a half inch floppy drive in it. Why? The thing was a monster. It was so heavy. It, you, you could carry it. Ted, so where is it now? I have no idea. I don't know what happened to you it. You need to find it because I want to play with it. I that. know. I don't, I'm pretty sure I don't have it because I would have found it in my stuff. I must have sold it or gotten rid of it or something. I, I think I had it freshman year of college and it probably got lost in the shuffle somewhere or I decided this is, this is dumb and I gave it to somebody. It wasn't new. It was like second or third hand. I, I found it at, like I found it on the first sale day. First Saturday down at sale day. I found it. I found both of the ones I'm thinking of. Shame on you, Jeff. The other one, uh, 2003 or so. Eh, maybe it was 2005. I remember trying to put, um, I think it was a, a SUSE on it back then. It was one of the few that had touch support. Or Mandriva. I think Mandriva had just... Uh, so when did it, when did Mandrake become Mandriva? Was it 06? Like that? I don't even remember. Somewhere right in there. I think it was... A, I, I tried putting one of the earliest versions of Mandriva because it too had some touch support on there. 
because I was basically, I didn't have any drivers for this thing. I was just like, oh, I wonder if I can get this to work. No, no, no. It was a good experiment, though. Also, it's really hard to get it to boot. It was a full computer, but it didn't have all the things you would expect in a computer. Like, you know, so it, was a, it was a nice challenge. But anyway, I don't remember what we got into tablets. Oh, yeah, I was joking about uh, your, your tablet experience. Thing. Yeah, I was making fun of it. Yeah. I wanted I wanted something like an Apple tablet for a long time. I was like, can't they just make it no drives or nothing? Just just put some solid state drives in there, some some storage, make it thin. You know, a little as bezel as possible. Just make it thin and light. That's all I want. That's not much. It took until Apple to make them. You know, when Apple started making them, that's when I think they they finally arrived in a in a fashion that I was comfortable with. Anyway. That's because you're an Apple hipster. We all we all know. You take that back. Nope, I won't. Okay, you got you got you got a you got a punch coming your way sometime. I'm sure I do. Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah, I do. Yeah. Let's uh, let's see what the listeners think though about if you're an Apple fanboy or not. And uh, I'm pretty sure also I know what, what the they, listeners are going to say, but what they thought about this episode yeah. and what their experiences were if they were ever an early adopter on something uh, through all the phases, through the you know the rough edges phases, through the it just sucks because it doesn't do what I want it to do phases to the now everybody's using it phases to the, okay, yeah, you realize that maybe that wasn't as great as you thought. Uh, let us know. Mm-hmm. There's multiple ways to contact us. You got the, the matrix channel, you got the telegram channel, you got email. we got several emails in here. The, uh, the two channels, the matrix and telegram channel are linked and we've been having some really excellent discussion in the last couple of weeks. It seems like the community is growing you know, slow but sure, and we're trying to be thoughtful and still have a good time in there. So, join join our channel. We're having some really great discussions. I think if if you're enjoying our content on the show, you will very much enjoy the content in the channel too. But if it's not for you, then email works, or message straight on Fireside. That works too. Uh, reach out to us and let us know what you think. And as always, be excellent to each other. <laughs>